Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis using the Zelle app to box13 at greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank Carl for supporting the podcast that way. Thank you so much for your support. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month by going to patreon.greatdetectives.net. We are continuing our Round Robin Christmas crossover where we're all appearing on each other's programs and commenting on each other's episodes. I and two others are guests on I Love Old Time Radio, hosted by Benny. Check that out on the I Love Old Time Radio. We'll have that in the show notes. But now let's get into this week's episode of Dangerous Assignment. The original air date, December the 24th, 1952. And the title is Lecturing Professors. Dangerous Assignment. Transcribed starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to wind up with me getting the best Christmas present I've ever had right while I'm staring down the barrel of a gun. Morning, Commissioner. Just stopped in to say goodbye. Goodbye? Sure, my vacation starts this morning, remember? I'm running up to New England for Christmas. Snow on the ground, fire in the fireplace, and the little lady I'd most like to eat a boiled dinner with. Sorry, Steve. You mean because you're not going? No, I mean because you're not going. Now, look. I've got an assignment for you, and it can't wait. Commissioner, for the last three years, I've been trying to get Christmas off. So what happens? One year I'm in Alaska, next it's Africa, last year it was India. This year you promised... So I've got to break that promise, Steve. And it looks like you get another Christmas spoiled. Okay, what's the deal? Ever hear of international lecture tours? Now, look, don't tell me I'm supposed to get up on a soapbox and lecture on the Christmas spirit. No, you won't be making any speeches, but you'll be investigating a few people who do. This is an organization of six European professors, Steve. They lecture at universities all over the world, including the United States. What about them? We've had our eye on them for quite a while. We've suspected that one of them was using his lectures as a front that actually he's picking up secret information from contacts in this country and taking it back to Europe with him. Which professor is it? We don't know, but Dr. Gerber does. He's one of the professors, and he's waiting down the hall to talk to you. Find out what you can from him, Steve, then go anywhere and do anything necessary to smash this spy ring. And, um, incidentally, try to have a halfway decent Christmas. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 
The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. If you aren't already acquainted with NBC's great Sunday lineup of stellar radio programs, you're missing some of the finest programs on the air. Theater Guild on the Air is one of the great shows aired on this station every Sunday evening. Featuring stars of Broadway and Hollywood in fine dramatic works, Theater Guild offers the best in radio entertainment. And comedy on Sunday wouldn't be complete without the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show. Now, we think you'll agree that Phil and Alice join forces to present one of the funniest programs on the air. So, be sure to tune to this NBC station this Sunday and every Sunday for our stellar program lineup. Sure, I've got my assignment. Go poke my nose into an international spy ring and have a Merry Christmas. I've got an uneasy hunch what kind of a Christmas present I'll get on this deal. Probably a gift-wrapped bullet. I go down the hall to the room where Dr. Gerber, one of the members of the International Lecture Tours, is waiting for me, and he tells me he knows who the foreign agent in the organization is and that he'll tell me on one condition. I must have protection, Mr. Mitchell. Oh, it's no problem. You're safe in this country, Dr. Gerber. You, you don't understand. I don't mean protection for myself. What? Here, uh, this, this picture. Uh, little boy. Yes, it's my son, Kurt, uh, ten years old. He's the one you want protection for? Yes. I I know only too well the measure of retaliation which might be employed against the boy if I were to reveal the information I possess. Okay, so we get a bodyguard for him. But Kurt's not with me. He's in the school in Stockholm, Sweden. School run by an Englishman, Horst Wakefield. I had to leave Kurt there. His mother passed away three years ago and... He has no other relatives. Well, we could have somebody from our consulate there pick him up No, and... no, no, no. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Kurt is registered under his mother's name at school. In school. No one must know his true identity until he's absolutely safe. I see. Okay, Dr. Gerber, I guess I'd better hop over there and get your boy myself. Oh, that's what I hoped you would say, Mr. Mitchell. When you return with Kurt... I'll give you the name of the head of the spiring. So I grab a plane for Stockholm. Dr. Wakefield's school is out of the city a little way as I approach his office. A little girl with long curls comes out and wanders off toward the other children. I show my credentials to Dr. Wakefield and ask him to see Kurt. Uh, Mr. Mitchell, Kurt has disappeared. What? Yes, uh, that little girl who just left my office was Ilsa, a playmate of his. I've been questioning her, but she has no idea where he is. I'm worried sick. When did he disappear? I'm not sure, really. What do you mean? Well, last evening, a a woman came to see Kurt. She told me she was his aunt. Kurt's father told me Kurt had no other relatives. But how was I to know that? She said she was his aunt, and I saw no reason to doubt her. Go on. I sent her to his room. I... Believe she left when regular visiting hours were over. That would be at uh, nine o'clock last evening. What do you mean you believe she left? Aren't you sure? Well, as a matter of fact, I turned in rather early last night. Had a splitting headache. Sounds Uh, like a pretty careless way to run a boarding school, Dr. Wakefield. I resent that, Mr. Mitchell. 
Ordinarily, I exercise the greatest of care and supervision. But with this headache I had, I was obliged to go to bed. I see. And you don't have any idea when Kurt actually disappeared? No. All I know was that he was missing this morning. Oh, great. I haven't telephoned the police yet, but I think I'd better right now. No, no, wait a minute. Uh, but it seems obvious. The boy's been kidnapped. If he has, I think it's to ensure somebody will keep his mouth shut. That means he's safe as long as the kidnappers don't feel any pressure on them. No, this has got to be done undercover. Let me see what I can find out. Very well, if you think it best that way, Mr. Mitchell. Incidentally, are you familiar with an outfit called International Lecture Tours? Why, uh, yes, they have an office here in Stockholm, on Drottnigsgarten, I believe. Drott, Drott... Oh, well, never mind. I'll find it. Hi. What can I do for you? This is the headquarters of International Lecture Tours. Sure is. You in charge? <laughs> well, I'm the leg man. And I guess you're the boy I want to talk to. My name's Mitchell. Saunders is mine. I'm always glad to meet anyone from the States. You say you're the leg man for the outfit. What does that involve? You name it. The works. Shacking around the world in front of the wise men. Scheduling lecture dates, making hotel reservations, keeping them in toothpaste. Sounds like <laughs> quite a job. Well, there are probably easier ways of making a living. How'd you get into this racket? I was uh, stranded here in Sweden, broke. I heard these professors needed a nursemaid, so here I am. Look, I'd like a little information on these professors. Here are my credentials. Well, looks pretty official. What do you want to know, Mr. Mitchell? There are six professors in the circuit, right? Right. How well do you know them? How well can you know these birds? They live in an ivory tower all their own. Yeah. Where are they all now? This chart shows the setup. Stelters in Bombay, Duval's in Toronto, Chumley's in Cape Town, Buchek's in Copenhagen. You're really keeping spread out. Yeah, yeah. Gerber's in the United States. Uh-huh. Aren't any of them anywhere near... Yeah, yeah. Dr. Friedrich? Right here in Stockholm, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm expecting him any minute. He's got some sort of beef, as usual. He's a real fireball. I'd like to meet him. Well, stick around. He ought to be here any minute. Sondhaus! He is. Sondhaus, what kind of a booking agent are you? That's a good question. How many times have I told you I must not have left the hotel room? Now, just take it easy, Dr. Friedrich. Take it easy, he says. And that dumkop upstairs with his clump clump all night while I work on my lecture notes. How much could a man spend? Well, there, you've got me. If you'll just relax. And why you scheduled me in Stockholm this time of year when you know I would rather be in the United States? I did that because you and Dr. Gerber don't seem to get along too well, and I like to keep you apart. How come you don't get along with him, Dr. Friedrich? Ah, oh, because the theories he blabs about in his lectures, they are incorrect. They contradict my theories. And... What business is this of yours, young man? This is Steve Mitchell, a... a newspaper reporter, Dr. Friedrich. Uh, mind telling me where you were last night? Working on my lecture notes. But that clump, clump, clump overhead, how could a man work? You know, that's funny. Funny, he says. It's an outrage. Well, I mean, I called your hotel about a lecture date last night, and they told me you were out. Oh? Uh, well, yes, I had forgotten. I had an engagement for a while. Was she nice? Nice, she was worse. See here, this none of your business. Thunders, I leave you with two words. Get me better rooms with no drift and no clump, clump, clump overhead, or I quit the tour. Goodbye. So now you've met Dr. Friedrich. Aye, aye, sure have. Well, I'll check with you later, Saunders. Back 
in my hotel room, I go over the deal in my mind. It's starting to take shape. Last night, a woman visits Kurt this morning. He's gone. Friedrich doesn't like Kurt's father, and Friedrich was out with a woman last night. Yeah. On the surface, the pattern looks good, but I've got an uneasy feeling it could fall apart as fast as a smoke ring and a draft. Yeah? This is Saunders, Mitchell. I got an item you might be interested in. Shoot. Well, not five minutes after you left the office, in waltzes Dr. Butchek. Wait a minute. Butchek's supposed to be in Copenhagen. That's right. So I asked, how come? What'd the good doctor say? Just something about being tired. When did Butchek arrive? There you got me. You want the address? Yeah. Strand Hotel. Okay, thanks, Saunders. I think I'd better go over there and give Dr. Butchek the double check. <laughs> Yes? Well, hello. I'm Steve Mitchell, newspaper reporter from the United States. I'd like to see Dr. Buchek. I am Dr. Buchek. Oh, huh? You seem surprised. I am. I thought Dr. Buchek was a man. Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is a disappointment? <laughs> Come in, please. What can I do for you, Mr. Mitchell? I understand you canceled your lecture tour suddenly and returned here to Stockholm. Yes, I wish to spend Christmas with my friends. When did you get in? My plane landed this morning. Not last night. But of course not. I just told you I... You uh, also sure you weren't out at Dr. Wakefield's school last night? I've never heard of the place. See here, Mr. Mitchell, I'm quite certain that you're not a newspaper reporter. I'm also quite certain that my activities are none of your business. Well, uh, thanks for the interview. I can check up on your arrival time, you know. Please do. Hmm. A word with you, sir. What? Huh? Who are you? I'm Moscow. I'd like you to meet my friend Olaf. What? I don't see any. This is Olaf's gun in your back. He's the strong, silent type, but he has a very nervous trigger finger. Look, what's this all about? You shouldn't have bothered the young lady. Dr. Butchek? Now we have to go for a nice ride. A short one, no doubt. For us, yes. For you, such a long ride, I don't think you will ever... Look, return. if you think I'm going to stand here and let you... We don't expect you to stand. Hola. Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. Twenty seconds from now, a fire will break out somewhere in the United States causing untold misery and devastation. More than 11,000 persons are killed annually by these fires, many more are injured, and more than $700 million worth of property is lost. The most tragic part of this statement lies in the fact that more than 90% of all fires in the home start through sheer carelessness and could be avoided. Here are a few simple rules of safety which will help you to protect your home and your loved ones from the ravages of fire. First, do not smoke in bed or discard lighted cigarettes carelessly. Second, clean out old newspapers, magazines, and other inflammable debris. Third, promptly repair all defective wiring and electrical equipment. If a wire looks frayed or worn, replace it at once. Fourth, use only those cleaning fluids which will not burn. And fifth, be careful with matches. Keep them out of the reach of small children. You can't afford to gamble with fire. The odds are against you every time. 
Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. I don't know how long I've been out, but when I start coming to, I realize they're dragging me out of a car. I open my eyes a crack and take a guarded peek, then I see they're carting me to the edge of a cliff. I wait until they get me right to the brink. Then I twist an arm loose and belt the big guy Olaf. He staggers back right over the edge. Oscar yanks at his gun in his pocket, but I flatten him. I run to the car, jump in and dig out along the road, which runs near the edge of the cliff. So far, so good. Then I hear the shots. I twist my head for a quick look. Oscar's gotten to his feet and is pumping lead after me. Scores the bullseye on one of the tires. The car slews around and starts careening towards the edge of the cliff out of control. I manage to get the door open and dive out just as it goes over the edge. I land on a ledge about 20 feet down from the top. Lie there in the brush just as the car bounces down to the bottom and bursts into flames. After a few moments, Oscar sticks his head over the top of the cliff and looks down at the burning wreck with a big grin on his face. He figures I'm getting a king-size hot foot about now. Finally, he turns and leaves. I give him a few minutes. And I drag myself together and head back into town to the lecture tour office. Hey! You look like you've been dragged through the well-known knothole, Mitchell. You're so well-known right. <laughs> hey, look, do you have a picture of Dr. Butchek around here anywhere, Saunders? Sure. Uh, here's a publicity still we send out to the papers. Will it do? Very nicely, thanks. She, uh, kind of made a hit with you. Yeah, a big hit. So now I'm going to return the compliment. <laughs> I'm so glad you came, Mr. Mitchell. Something has happened that you should know about. What is it, Dr. Wakefield? You remember I told you a woman posing as Kurt's aunt came here to the school to see him the night before last. Sure, the night Kurt disappeared. What about it? That same woman was back here this morning. What? Yes, not an hour ago. I wasn't in my office at the time, but my secretary told me this woman inquired about Kurt again. Wait a minute. That means they don't have Kurt. Who's they? I think I know who one of them is. Here, take a look. Her name is Buchek. What about her? Isn't that the woman who was asking about Kurt? Why, no. What? I've never seen the woman in this picture before in my life. You sure about that? Of course. Oh, fine. My one lead blows right up in my face. Uh, come in. Oh, Hugo. Hello, Ares. Well, Dr. Friedrich. Huh? Oh, the nosy reporter. Yeah, I gather you were expecting him, Dr. Wakefield. Of course. Hugo and I are old friends. He drops in for tea and chess. Yeah. Oh. It's your move, Horace. No, I guess it's my move, gentlemen. I go outside and I'm really stumped. I've got to find Kurt and find out who's behind the deal, but I'm fresh out of leads. Then, as I'm walking through the school grounds, I spot the little girl with the curls, Ilza, Kurt's playmate. She's just slipping out a side gate with a little package under her arm. A sudden hunch hits me and I follow her. She takes off through the woods and then down the road. I keep out of her sight. Finally, she disappears into an old deserted barn. A couple of minutes later, she comes out empty-handed. I wait until she's out of sight, then I go into the barn. There's a blonde kid sitting in a feed box, munching on a sandwich. Hello. Hello, Kurt. Did you come to help me? Yeah. My father sent you? That's right. That is good. I've been praying for help. I knew it would come. Oh, yeah? What happened, Kurt? A woman came to see me at the school... She tried to make me go away with her. She said she was a friend of my father's, but I knew she was lying to me. 
Go on. Well, I asked her to wait outside my room while I packed. As soon as I was alone, I climbed out the window and ran away. I see. I'll uh, bet you're tired of eating sandwiches, huh? My girlfriend, Ilse, has been bringing them to me. How'd you happen to pick this barn to hide in? Oh, I knew it was the right place as soon as I saw this manger. Manger? Yes. I read about a little boy in a manger once. I see. Well, I guess you couldn't have picked a better place, Kurt. Particularly on Christmas Eve. Will you take me to my father? Wait. Hey, two guys. Oscar and... Well, what do you know? So I finally find out who's my boy in this deal when it's too late. It's never too late. It will be if I can't come up with something real fast. Flick around the barn looking for something, anything. Kurt is on his knees in the manger praying. Then I spot a light bulb dangling from the end of a wire. I yank the wire loose from the bulb and tear it behind me, holding it in my left hand by the insulated part. Then I lean against the stall Kurt's in and just wait. I take a quick look at him. His eyes are closed and his lips are moving a little. There he is. Yeah. Hello, Mitchell. Hello, Saunders. So you're the big boy. I'm the big boy. But some guys will do for a buck, huh? You sent me chasing after that Buchek woman so your two stooges would know where to pick me up, huh? Incidentally, where's your other stooge, the woman who tried to get Kurt at the school? She's waiting at my office until I take care of this little deal. Thanks for leading us here. Don't mention it. I'm uh, afraid you've kind of complicated things, Mitchell. Hmm? Originally, I was going to grab Kurt and keep him so Gerber wouldn't spill about me. But now you know the deal, so that means i got to get rid of both of you. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. His gun starts swinging in my direction. It's now or never. I whip the electric wire out from behind my back and lash at his gun with it. A sort of blue flame wraps around the gun. Saunders drops it and grabs his hand. I give him a fist. Oscar dives for the gun, but I'm waiting for him. I tie the two of them up with their belts. And I turn to Kurt. He's still sitting in the manger, looking at me calmly. Is it all over, Mr. Mitchell? It will be as soon as we pick up Saunders' girl at the lecture office. I prayed that something would happen to deliver us. It happened. Well, you see, I sort of made it happen, Kurt. Did you? I prayed for a bolt of lightning, Mr. Mitchell. Well, I guess you could call that electric spark a bolt of lightning, but it was man-made lightning. Was it? How did you happen to think of it? Oh, I guess I just sort of... Well, I mean, I saw the light. Yeah, I guess I sure did. You see? Yeah. Yeah, I see. I'm the last guy in the world to argue the point, believe me. <laughs> Funny. I was the one who was screaming that my Christmas was spoiled. Thanks, Kurt. For what? For one of the best Christmases I've ever had. Come on, you're going home to your father. Our star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. On New Year's Day, the NBC Radio Network will send your way two important football games. From Dallas, Texas, home of the famed Cotton Bowl, NBC will broadcast the game between the University of Texas Longhorns and the University of Tennessee Volunteers. Mike's side for NBC at Dallas will be Lindsey Nelson and Bob Murphy to bring you every exciting play as Texas Southwest Conference champions and Tennessee, one of the fine teams of the Southeast, clash in this traditional New Year's Day bowl game. And then following the Cotton Bowl game, NBC will switch controls to Pasadena, California for the granddaddy of all bowl games, the Rose Bowl. Al Helfer and Braven Dyer will handle the Rose Bowl play-by-play broadcast 
between the University of Southern California Trojans, the Pacific Coast Conference champions, and the University of Wisconsin Badgers, co-holders of the Big Ten Championship. So here's our invitation to you to be set side on New Year's Day when NBC broadcasts both the Cotton Bowl and the Rose Bowl football games. Tonight and tomorrow, as all of us throughout our great country celebrate Christmas with our families, trees and gifts, let's not forget that it's the giving, not the getting, which is the true celebration. And let's remind ourselves of the one gift we can all give, the gift which costs us nothing, to give thanks. And now, from all of us on Dangerous Assignment, to all of you, a very Merry Christmas. This is John Storm speaking and saying be with us again next week at this time for another transcribed dangerous assignment. This is NBC, the night before Christmas. Welcome back. A car chase, an explosion. Fisticuffs, getting a concussion, and electrocuting your enemies. Truly the best Christmas ever. Now, this was made as a non-Christmas episode for both radio and television, and it's odd that it wasn't always a Christmas story, and it only took a few tweaks to get there. As we're missing the Christmas episodes for both 1950 and 1951, we don't really know if... The Christmases Steve referenced were actual plots on the radio program where Steve attempted to have a nice Christmas and was foiled by the commissioner, but perhaps it is a clue to those lost episodes. Now, I will say that I will never not be annoyed by the headmaster getting all defensive that Steve questioned his competency and that of his school. Look, people aren't perfect. They make mistakes. It happens, and there needs to be some understanding. But be apologetic. You lost someone's kid. I had a headache isn't a defense, particularly when you're some super expensive boarding school. We provide the best care money can buy, but all bets are off if I get a headache. Also, Steve's investigative techniques were not great. He focused on the fact that a woman came for the boy and without even getting a description, reached the conclusion that he was looking for a woman or for someone who had at some point been associated with a woman, thus limiting his suspect pool to half the population of Stockholm as well as the other half. And Steve acted like he had a lead that was ruined when the headmaster saw a picture of the professor and said, that's not her, I've never seen this woman before. Didn't have a lead, you just had speculation. The most ironic part of this episode is that the woman who took the boy does not actually appear on stage. 
in all seriousness, aside from that, I think that this was a pretty solid Christmas episode for Dangerous Assignment. I enjoyed the Man Called X special on a starlit hill more than most, but something that metaphysical wouldn't work for Dangerous Assignment. That sort of story would not be a great deal for Steve, who's a far simpler and direct person than Ken Thurston. The theme of the story ties into the after-episode message. While you can definitely appreciate Steve grousing about his spoiled Christmas plans, he did actually get something great out of it. He saw an illustration of simple faith and also received insight. The idea that Steve seeing the wire was inspired didn't insult his intelligence or quick wit, but rather gave him the gift of gratitude. That for all of his escapes and time saving the day over the years, he really did have something to be thankful for. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we start out on YouTube with a comment from Reinser, who writes in regarding the episode A Nursery Rhyme. Lamont Cranston, who sounded a lot like Orson Welles, used the typewriter trick in an episode of The Shadow from 1937 or 38. I wonder if some criminal was actually caught that way. Well, thank you so much for the comment, Reinser. You'll find a lot of radio episodes and short stories where the mystery plot and the way it's solved are very similar to each other. For example, there was a Sandhog story on The Shadow, and there was also one on Box 13 and Let George Do It, and they're all very similar. In terms of whether... Finding the right typewriter has been used in criminal cases to catch someone. I can answer pretty definitively that even if it's not quite as dramatized, yeah, that sort of thing did happen. I took criminalistics and forensics when I was in college back in the early 2000s. By no means am I an exhaustive expert on the subject. I think the course I took was kind of good basic knowledge about the field and the ways that uh, crime scene investigations happened, and that was my science credit. And it definitely came up in the course that this was the sort of evidence that police used. That finding the typewriter that actually produced a note could be a vital part of the investigation. And of course, there are all sorts of similar things like tool marks. And it's not just a crowbar was used, but can we match it back to the specific crowbar that was used. Now, obviously, with some tools, it's not anywhere close to a 100% match, particularly if you don't find physical evidence remaining on a tool, although it can be added to your evidentiary record. We apprehended this suspect, and there are so many points that connect him to the crime as the actual suspect, and among those points is that he possesses a crowbar of the type that was used in the commission of the crime. Typewriters were interesting as evidence because they tended to have different wear patterns. They'd have little errors 
when you pressed a certain key that would be distinct. It's not like no other typewriter in the world would have that sort of error. But it would be, typewriter has a particular error when you press the lowercase l. It's off just a little bit in the same way that the letter was written. And if you have a couple of different faults that match, that really becomes indicative. Oh yeah, that sort of thing definitely was used as evidence. And uh, then we have uh, a comment. Uh, it's signed Ken Thurston, uh, who writes, Regarding my stating the site called X, I know it's formally Twitter, but every time you say it, it makes me smile. Well, thanks for the email. And, of course, uh, Elon Musk, who owns Twitter, renamed it X. But I think it's safe to say that the name has not taken with the general public. Myself, I tend not to like these sort of changes. It took me, I don't know, like six months, a year to get used to Apple Podcasts in what we're, we're supposed to say rather than iTunes when telling people to subscribe. And with X, I think that the vast majority of people, unless they are, you know, journalists who are trying to be very precise, will refer to it as Twitter. And so, like, when I am doing the openings and closings for social media, I will say Twitter, because I don't think X registers with the majority of the public. But yeah, when I say the site called X, if you didn't know what I was talking about, now you know. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Ron. Ron has been one of our Patreon supporters since May of 2020, currently supporting the podcast at the detective sergeant level of $7.14 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software and be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. Dangerous Assignment will return in two weeks. Join us back here tomorrow where our round-robin Christmas crossover culminates tomorrow as I am joined by three other old-time radio podcasters. And together we'll be listening to Mr. Chameleon where... Since I wasn't on the case, I've never met any of them. I would like to do that, Commissioner. Meet them? Mm Mm-hmm. Reopen the case if I feel it should be reopened. I think I know how to make the killer stick his neck out if I'm convinced the killer is still loose. Well, then question them by all means. Take Detective Sergeant Dave Arnold with you. John Drake and his sons are living in the mother's house. His brother Horace and his wife Sonia are with them, too. Any servants who were with Mrs. Orlando Drake? Her housekeeper, I believe, a Mrs. Sterling. Mm-hmm. It was Mrs. Sterling's testimony which convicted Helen Drake. Ah, I see. You know something, Commissioner... Wouldn't it be nice if I could get Helen Drake released from prison in time for Christmas? Are you kidding? I hope you'll be with us then. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, myself and two other old-time radio podcasters will be guest on I Love Old Time Radio with Vinny, and he'll be playing an episode of Suspense, and we'll be talking about it, and I will feature five minutes of that after I sign off, and if you want to go listen to the whole thing, just go over to I Love Old Time Radio. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. 
Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off. Come on, wake up. <laughs> wake up, Kathy. It's the day before Christmas. Oh, and there's so much oh, to Miss Buff, it's light out already. You said you were going to wake me really early today so we could go to the airport and meet them. Come on, up you get. Let's get you dressed. Buffy, they're going to be waiting for me and you didn't wake me. I know what, they're home already. Kathy. Mommy! Daddy, where are you? Daddy! Mommy! Buffy, they're not in their bedroom. Where are they? Kathy. I know. I'll bet they're in the kitchen already having their coffee. Mom! Miss Buff, they're not home. I know, honey. The clock in the kitchen said 8.30. Kathy, here, put this on, dear. You told me you wanted to wear this dress today. So that's why I ironed it for you. Miss Buff. Yes, dear? Why aren't they here? Oh, they'll be here. But when I talked to Mommy on the telephone yesterday, she said she would be here at 6 this morning. And I promised her I'd meet her at the airport, her and Daddy. I know, I know. And Daddy said he had a surprise he was bringing for me all the way from Paris. It's 8.30, Buffy. Let's go out to the airport now. Oh, but there's so many things to do. First, you've got to get your breakfast, and we have to finish decorating the tree. And, uh, oh, there's so many things I want you to help me with. Oh, everything can wait, Buffy. Hurry, I promised to meet them. Uh, No, dear. Why not, Buff? Well, I think we'll, we'll wait for them here. Kathy? Yes? You remember what you promised your mommy and dad? That you'd do everything I asked you while they were away? Yes. Then, uh... We'll wait for them here, hmm? All right, Buffy. It's noon, Buffy. I know. Don't you think they might have called and told us they'd be late? Oh, I'll go and make our lunch. You must be very hungry. No, I'm not. Oh, you didn't eat your breakfast, Kathy. Miss Buff, I'm not hungry. Look. Oh, look, it's snowing, honey. We'll have a nice warm lunch, and then we'll go out for a long walk. Hmm? They should have called. I tell you what, Kathy. We'll take our walk first. We'll see the shops. We'll visit. We'll go and see Johnny and your aunt and uncle. Maybe if it snows hard enough, we can all build a snowman. Wouldn't you like that? Yes, that would be fun. <laughs> well, go get your coat and hat and galoshes, dear. All right. And when when we come back, Mommy and Daddy will be home. Well, you go and get your things now. Oh, I'll get it. I'll get it, Buffy. Mommy. Oh, who's this, Daddy? You sound... All from a newspaper. I see. It's a man, Buff. He says he wants to talk to an older person. Here. Hello? 
Yes, this is the Harper residence. I'm the housekeeper. I... Uh, well, just a moment, please. Uh, Kathy. Who is it? Someone wants to talk to me, honey. Will you go get your things? No. Who are you talking to, Buffy? Never mind, dear. Go and get your things. No. No, I won't. Hello? Uh, I, I see. Yes. Yes, I saw the papers. Uh, yes, yes, that was the daughter. Yes, the only child. No, she doesn't. No. No, no, I wish you wouldn't. Please, don't, here. No. Who was it? Oh, it was just a man, honey. It was from the newspapers. Why? What did he want? Nothing. He asked about me, didn't he? Why? Honestly, honey, it was nothing. It was about Mommy and Daddy. Oh, it wasn't anything important. Well... Yes, dear? I don't know. Look at that snow coming down, Kathy. Hmm. Get your things, dear. Go on. <laughs> 